Well, welcome to another episode of Breakaway from the Rat Race. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Derek Dumbeck. And uh, Derek Dumbeck has surfed uh, uh, the ups and downs of the market and the real estate market since 2002. His expertise is broad. He ranges from wholesaling, flipping, landlording. I didn't know this was a board and even lending. He has been involved in hundreds of transactions in his career. And what sets him really apart is his love for people and their success stories. Uh, Derek is a problem solver and a great negotiator. He hosts and runs Wisco Ria which is based out of Wausau, Wisconsin. And there he coaches and teaches other real estate investors on how to uh, achieve successful real estate career. Uh, he also has three national mastermind groups. And uh, his big one is uh, each winter that he does is called the Generations of Wealth Voyage. So you're a busy guy. <laughs> yes, I am. Welcome yes, to I the am. show, Derek. Yeah. Thank you, Eric. It's my <laughs> pleasure to be with you. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about kind of like how you got started in real estate and uh, and where you are not from now and also about a little bit about your generations of wealth voyage. Sure. Um, so we started in 2002, the very end of 2002. And like most, we bought a couple of fixer upper rental properties locally. And, you know, those were cash flowing fine. And, and we started to get into the 2003, four, five um, increase in the property values leading up to the real estate bubble. And back then, Eric, I didn't do anything creative. I, I went to the banks. I had good credit, I had down payments. You know, we, we built up a, a pretty large portfolio. Um, numerically, maybe not as large as California standards, but in the Midwest, you know, build up a four four and a half million dollar portfolio in a couple of years was, was pretty quick. And uh, how many, how many properties is that? Um, at, at our peak, I had 29 doors. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's um, good size. But a large portion of that portfolio was out of state. I was buying and selling in Florida. Okay. And uh, I'm in Wisconsin. So okay. when the when the bubble burst, um, I got my, my butt kicked. And uh, ultimately, we ended up, our four plus million dollar portfolio went to one within six mm -hmm. months. Mm -hmm. And it was at that time that, you know, we had a decision to make. Um, which I feel like is going to happen again to a lot of people in the very near future, but you either quit or you, you figure out a different way. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was in that time frame between 2009 and 2011 that we really embraced getting creative with deal structuring. Um, my credit was destroyed. Banks wouldn't touch me and I wasn't going to give up. And I wish that I would have had to struggle the first few years to learn the creative ways and use the banks as a secondary method instead of the opposite way. Mm -hmm. and, and I think Eric, that's what a lot of people are doing right now. It's, it's pretty easy to get bank loans. Um, you know, credits cheap and when the markets turn, not if, but when the markets turn, if that's the only tool in your toolbox, you get caught with your hand in a cookie jar mm -hmm. potentially. Yeah. So what, so what happened specifically? So you had some properties and then, you know, that, and then the mark, the value of these properties really went, went down uh, pretty quickly. Down, values went down. A lot of the loans were um, either adjustable rate or commercial loans that had three or five year balloons. And when oh, okay, they came yeah. due, 
nobody would refinance us. Um, yeah. the, the banking relationships we had built, those employees got escorted out of the bank. My relationships were gone. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that. Yeah. And uh, that was when yeah. I also really figured out that if in my negotiating strategies, if I just did things different than everyone else, um, it set me apart. Mm-hmm. And by different, meaning I didn't blame someone else for my problems. I took responsibility yeah. for it. We went to our, our bankers and said, here's our strategy. Here's what we're going to do to solve it. And a couple of them said they would still work with us. Okay. And, That's you cool. know. Well, I think at the end, yeah, I mean, these, uh, a lot of these banks, they don't want, they don't want to own your real estate. They want you to pay, to pay the loan. So if you can uh, somehow figure out a, a creative way of getting out of it, uh, my feeling is that they would they would be more than willing to to negotiate some some terms that would be uh, agreeable to both of you. Is that right? If you're dealing with smaller community banks, yes. Mm-hmm. If you're dealing with large national chains, yeah, they, you're just a number. You're a file. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, my my goal was to get away from banks entirely. Mm-hmm. And since 2011, I have not used the bank for any investment uh real estate purchases mm-hmm. um, okay so you use basically other people's money for the uh, for a lot of your investors for a lot of your investments yeah so we started raising private capital to mm-hmm. fund our our fix and flip properties and or you know rental properties um and what kind of happened by default and, and it was never really planned we raised more money than we could keep busy yeah. yeah with our own deals yeah um so that led to us becoming a hard money lender as well and it started out doing a couple loans a month with excess funds and since then that's grown to its its own its own animal and uh oh. and we're we're hovering around 15 to 18 loans a month that we're putting out the door at this point wow uh, which that's a lot of loans it, it is. And so that's, that's just another, another avenue of yeah. uh, work, right? Yeah. So let's talk about the future of real estate. So in 2008, you know, with the crash and stuff like that, it's, uh, you know, it really crushed uh, your business because of some, how these loans were, were structured. Uh, if we have um, a lot of the, my investors, they actually are uh, the people that are buying turnkey or single family rentals, uh, they are into these long-term debt. So the 30-year financial, they have long-term goals. So they don't have any adjustable rate. They don't have any balloon payments that are due like in five years or so. But... But maybe there are some, some my listeners, maybe they, they have something like that or they're thinking about it. So as we're looking at the current real estate market, uh, which seems to be a little bit high right now, uh, mm-hmm. and we expect maybe to have a correction downwards um, in maybe next year, maybe two years from now. I don't, I don't have a crystal ball. <laughs> but when that happens, how do you suggest that people uh, stay away from or uh, what should they watch out for in order to prevent uh, what happened to you in 2008? Well, if you've got the fixed rate 30-year locked in, that is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly, that's the, the safest um, that you can have. What I see a lot of people doing, Eric, is they're, and, and I did this, so I've, I've got the t-shirt, right? I've been down this path, but they're getting home equity lines of credit on their personal properties, using that as down payments or, or fix up money. 
And a lot of people don't read the fine print in those heat locks. Mm. Yeah. Most of them are callable at any time. That's right. Um, and a lot of them have to be renewed annually, which means you have to pay it all back. And then once they have all the money back, they'll maybe let you draw it off again. Um, you're, you're messing with your personal residence. And I fortunately did not lose my personal residence in all that stuff we went through, but could have. Yeah. Um, I see that on other websites and other you know forums and people are, are bragging about having all this equity because the appreciation is going so quickly. And like I saw that take down so many of my friends and other investors in the late 2000s. I would definitely watch out for that. Mm -hmm. um, people buying rental property right now, getting commercial loans at four to 5% interest rates, which is great. But if you're basing your cash flows off of that 4% interest rate and it's got a three or five year balloon, what is, you know, have it's you done cash flow point. analysis yeah. for possibly, you know, two to three times the interest rate that you're currently paying? I've seen that take down a lot of people. Yeah, that's right. So uh, HELOC, absolutely. I've seen a lot of people do that to buy property, to invest in property, and people need to really look at the fine print on those. These are adjustable rates uh, as, and they, can, they are totally callable. At any point in time, they can decide to reduce the, uh, because they see the value. It's based on the value of your property. And if they see the value of your property go down, they can decide that uh, you're, we're in California here. So yeah. your $300,000 uh, uh, HELOC is now worth only $100,000. So if you are above that, you need to pay us back. Uh, and coming up with $200,000 in a pinch is a little bit of a problem for most people. Correct. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and HELOC thinks people think it's free money and all oh, my house is going to continue to grow up, but you're really working with your primary residence. And uh, yeah, most people, they don't want, you don't want to lose your house over uh, some investments. No, no. So to me, those are the biggest things I'd watch out for. Yeah. Um, some of the smaller things, Eric, to, to just watch what happens with, and, and I didn't do this before. Now I do watch what's happening with other markets. So gold, silver, oil, commodities, um, you know, all of these things have a, have an effect on real estate long-term mm -hmm. and so many of the real estate investors that come through my RIA or that I meet at events, you know, they're, they're looking very, very short term, you know, yeah. six months, a year. Um, these things take time and it's actually not that hard to, to really see the trends if you look mm -hmm. back. But most of us say, well, we're real estate investors. We're not investing in gold. So we don't care what gold is doing or oil or they, they definitely go hand in hand. Um, stock market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, bonds, you know, all that stuff. So that's right. Yeah. Well, especially with, uh, I mean, my, my, my theory on this is that, and I think that uh, that's shared with uh, other people as well, is that with all the money that's been printed with, uh, you know, the COVID kind of like relief plan, the multiple COVID relief plan and all that, that has flooded the, um, I mean, people don't, the consumers doesn't really see this. They don't feel like, oh, they were flooded with money, but corporations were flooded with money uh, on the stock market. And so that money has created a bubble in the stock market and all of that. And uh, also in other, other areas of, uh, of the economy. 
including including real estate. So we've seen mm -hmm. a lot of money coming into real estate. And this is why like nationwide, uh, the uh, the value of real estate has appreciated like 11% over the last 12 months. This is this, this is across the nation that's never happened before, right. as far as I know, uh, the markets where we invest in Cleveland and Memphis and stuff, we've, we've seen like 15 to 20% appreciation over the last 12 months this is you know where we're normally seeing something around more around the three to five percent appreciation so which and this 15 20 is even higher than what we've seen in in san francisco bay area so this mm -hmm. is it's really crazy crazy stuff so that's one aspect of it the other aspect of it is um when the money when the government is printing a lot of money this tends to be causing some inflation we haven't seen the inflation really on the consumer side yet so that's why the CPI is not really uh, the, 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 inf the consumer inflation hasn't the way they it. measure it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And but the inflation, the, the price increase have been felt in the real estate. Again, more money coming into this house prices going up and we're also seeing rent going up as well. So all this eventually that's going to creep up and that's going to go into the consumer price index. And this is where we're going to see the consumer inflation coming in. Absolutely. So, and inflation when people think inflation where do they want to go they want to go in hard assets so again that's reinforces that we want to be in real estate in order to do that or we want to be in gold or or silver or some kind of commodity and um but you know gold doesn't give me cash flow and i can't leverage gold so i prefer to be in real estate than anything and what what I what drives me crazy, Eric, is I, I get calls from landlords that want to sell their rental properties right now because yes, they can get a premium dollar for them and they're not doing a 1031 exchange. They're selling it, paying the capital gains taxes, paying all the taxes involved, and they cannot go and replace that cash flow yeah. for pennies on the dollar like they bought that property for. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't understand it. I mean, I, I understand it because again, they're looking short term, they're looking yeah, six, 12 months. Right but you're you're throwing away a, a the golden goose to yeah. get a quick egg yeah um, and that's true i mean people are thinking they're thinking of accumulation they're thinking they think that wealth is really an accumulation of thing of money and stuff like that yeah. in the bank and stuff but you know the wealth is coming from having cash flow focus on the cash flow having constant cash flow coming in passive income that's that's where they're absolutely yeah. and i'm guilty of it as well because our lending company is an arbitrage business we we pay our investors a rate of return and we lend their money out at a higher rate of return mm -hmm. but it, it's not accumulating assets yeah so we we run two sides of the business you know the, the lending is one side of our company and and the you know the real estate acquisition and and in some cases flipping but we still need to build up those assets. Mm -hmm. And the other reason is Uncle Sam will tax the living heck out of us as a lending company. We have no deductions. Yeah. So oh, wow. we need to offset that too. Yeah. yeah. Um, with with every new um, idea or new business comes new challenges. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> so you adapt. Yeah, exactly. No, that's very good. The um, the other thing too that I wanted to point out is that it depends which, like, it's the same for us too. Like with uh, Martel Turnkey, we do the turnkey business. That's our core kind of like uh, business where we generate a lot of um, 
a lot of equity, a lot of wealth and stuff mm -hmm. like that and, and cash. And then we invest a portion of that into, into other, our own passive income uh, portfolio, like multiple uh, multifamily buildings and stuff like that. We also invest in some other businesses and, mm -hmm. and, um, and that's what's important. Yeah, you, you, it's possible to have, it's a good idea to have a business that is generating a lot of positive, uh, positive cash, and then you get that you can invest then in more passive income. But right. you have to really think about, okay, well, I want to be able to take off for three months, and then, you know, not having to worry and have the money come in at this at the same pace, you know. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that because one of our goals was to be able to take off for a month at a time and, and not have to look back. And mm -hmm. Friday, I'm leaving for five weeks with my family and not looking back. And, oh, wow. And, and it's, but you've got to build it up to get that mailbox money, to get that cash yeah. flow. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And I'm guilty of it, Eric. If I would have kept a fraction of the houses I've flipped, uh -huh. would, you know, <laughs> looking back, I should have, but I was looking short term and, and, uh, you know, if I can help your listeners kind of avoid some of the mistakes I made, that's I'm more than happy to do so. Yeah. And I think part of the problem is that people think they think short term and they also think they don't think small. They think so uh, the houses that we sell, for example, they, you know, maybe you can buy them a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred, hundred and twenty thousand dollars. And then they would generate between two hundred and fifty, three hundred dollars in net cash flow, right? Mm -hmm. After you you after financing. Um, so the rent is paying for the mortgage is paying for all, all the, all the fees and you, you're left with $300 a month and people are kind of disappointed with that. They're looking at it and say, well, you know, this is really not that good. It's not really worth it because they're thinking about $300. But if you think in the, in terms of the cash on cash return, I mean, you're making about 10% to 15% sometimes, uh, cash on cash return. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, this is significant and, uh, but people are not thinking in those terms. They're thinking about 300 bucks. That's, that's not worth it. This is how much I make like in, in a day or in, in a couple of days. So I don't want to do that, but I'm going to leave my money in the bank though. That same right. money at 0%. Uh, mm -hmm. That's fine. I'm, I'm not worried about that, but putting the money towards something that's going to make only 300 bucks. Yeah. Not worth it. And not to mention the internal rate of return and the principal reduction and the tax yeah, advantages yeah. of owning that property. Yeah. It's, it's probably closer to 20 to 25%. Well, yeah, exactly. And now with the appreciation too, like it's just like, yeah. uh, it's just insane, but yeah. So exactly. So it's kind of like, I, I see that quite a bit, like that short-term mentality and, uh, and that short-term mentality is also seen in, in kind of like oh maybe it's not the right time to buy i'm just gonna wait for for the market to go down and then i'll buy but there's a lot of people that are waiting so so when the market goes down then all these people are going to jump in so the market is not going to go down uh, well and there's there's two factors if if you have again more tools in your toolbox than than mm -hmm. one or two you can literally make money in any market but the other thing is people aren't out there making offers. They can't get a deal. Like, yeah. like, is it more challenging to find a deal today than it was a year ago? Maybe, but if you're not making offers, you don't give anybody the opportunity to say yes to your offer. Yeah. yeah. And I, 
I, I get it from people all the time, Eric, because I like doing creative deals and almost everybody tells me that doesn't know me very well, tells me, well, you can't get somebody to, you know, lease option a house to you, or you can't get somebody to take payments, or you can't get a subject to deal right now. And I do it every month. Yeah. And oh, wow. arguably the best market we've been in, in 15 years. And we do it every month. Yeah. Um, but it's consistency. That's yeah. the key. Yeah. You can't market for a week and, and talk to three sellers and, and think that you're going to get some smoking hot deal. Yeah. And also having the experience, also having the experience and knowing what what is the best strategy for that. And I think, I think I'd like to talk start talking about uh, about some of these creative strategy. And and people often are thinking in the same old same old. So they buy the house, they just uh, even they find like a, a distressed property, and they're just thinking, well, I'm just going to put my money in, and then pay for the rehab and stuff like that, and then refinance it with conventional mortgage. Um, sometimes that that's fine and uh, but other times you have to do something a little bit more creative uh, in order to get to get there so not everybody has a lot of money and in fact when I got started I bought my first uh, apartment building eight unit apartment building with absolutely no money down mm -hmm. I had the first loan position lien position with a credit union and the rest of the money actually came as a, as a second lien from the seller uh, I had zero money in the deal. It was still cash flowing. And mm -hmm. was it, was there a ton of deals like that? No, but me knowing that, uh, you know, I had the constraint, I didn't have enough money being able to put that deal together is, uh, is, is pretty important. And, uh, knowing that it's possible, that's, that's the thing. So people need to think creatively and think about Okay, well, this, these are my constraints. I don't have really that much money, but I would like to get into this deal. How can I get into this particular, this particular deal? So give us some ideas of you know, how we can think more creatively about financing these deals. Sure. So I'll, I'll rattle off a couple different ways and then I'll, I'll go into details on it. Um, if you have absolutely zero money, I would go out and try and find a, a landlord who's sick of being a landlord and try and master lease their properties and sublease them to the tenants. Um, typically you can do this with almost zero money out of your pocket. The, the best target is going to be retiring landlords who don't want chunks of cash and they don't want to pay all the recapture mm -hmm. tax and the capital gains. They just want to get away from the management aspect of it. Um, so, that the best way to find them go to landlord association meetings go to ria meetings start talking with the the gray-haired elderly people that mm -hmm. you know are wanting to i mean honestly yeah yeah that's true not the profile but let's profile yeah. that's yeah. who you're targeting yeah and and you start relationships with them and and you want to approach them on how you can help them of you know get out of the management side of it mm -hmm. um so I, I've got friends that have taken over 100-unit apartment complexes with not a dime of their own money by going in and setting up a master lease. And the best way, or I shouldn't say the best way, the, the, the best part of it is over time, you're building a relationship with this owner who then, when they're ready to sell, most likely will sell or finance you because you've mm -hmm. already proven yourself. Yeah, yeah. So no, that's, that's a good thing. And that's true. I mean, uh, we bought a, a few, well, the, the apartment buildings that we bought actually in Midtown Memphis, 
-hmm. we bought them from a purse from uh, individuals that were kind of like they were retired and they've been retired for a while, but they were really managing the properties themselves. Mm -hmm. And then they were tired. They were just tired of it. They wanted nothing. They want nothing to do with it anymore. They wanted to go into triple net kind of situation. Uh, We had talked to them about doing seller financing and all of that, but they they were not interested in that. Uh, I didn't know about that master master lease agreement. So already, I mean, you're Mm -hmm. teaching me something that I I didn't know. And, um, and then so basically, we bought the property, we found the the commercial commercial uh, lender to, uh, to get it under to basically buy the property. So that was, uh, that's very good. That's a good idea. But really the older people and also the smaller uh, buildings mm-hmm. uh, we kind of like targeting below below 40 uh, below 30 yep. these typically might have just like somebody that just says well it's not worth it having property management i'm just going to manage it myself and all that well in property management companies they they give a problem to the um, owner that you don't you don't have, if you're leasing the property, Eric, if I'm leasing your property from you, I take on all the liability of my tenants that I bring in. Mm-hmm. But if, if Eric, if you hire a management company, that management company is an employee of yours. Mm-hmm. So if the management company breaks a fair housing law, it trickles back to you. You're getting, yeah, yeah. you're, you're, you're the one in trouble. Mm-hmm. If you, if you lease to me and I break a fair housing law, I'm the one that's getting in trouble. Because mm-hmm. I'm not your employee, I'm your tenant. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that is one way that you can talk an owner um, into using you as a master lease versus hiring a management company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah so, and then the other part of it, if they'll agree to it, put an option in place to purchase that property. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't agree to it up front, you know, build that relationship with them for a year or two, and then go back and, and negotiate it and ask them, can, can we get this, you know, put in writing that I have the right to buy it sometime in the next 10 or 20 years. Yeah. Um, and I, I say this, I always say this with a little chuckle, just so they know I'm joking, but I'll ask a, a, a person if they're planning on dying anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you do it right, just like, you know, you chuckled there, um, you, you, you tell them that, if you pass away and then you leave the property to your heirs, your heirs will get a, a stepped up tax basis. Uh-huh. I will not exercise my option to purchase until you pass away. And then your heirs get to keep everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So learning a little bit of, I mean, you don't have to know the entire tax code, but knowing yeah. a, a little bit about it is a great negotiation strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, very good. So what are some of the uh, some of the other strategies that you think people are are not really looking at if they, they don't have a lot of money and they want to start oh building passive income? Subject to purchases, Eric, I think are just going to be huge. If mm-hmm. you learn that strategy and you learn it well, you think about all the thousands and thousands of people that are right now currently in default on their mortgages. And because of COVID, there's been no foreclosure actions. Well, mm-hmm. that ends at the end of June. Mm-hmm. I, I literally had a lead at an hour before we got on this you know, podcast from somebody that's two months in arrears. They're about to go in default. And if I can take their property over subject to, they would do that in a heartbeat. Okay. And if you can 
get 30 year fixed financing subject to at two and a half to three and a half percent in a lot of markets around the country, you can cash flow that even if there's zero equity. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, it's regionally, you know, California, maybe not as much, but the Midwest and other parts, I don't need to have 20, 30% equity in that property. Whereas if I'm buying it cash, I do. I'm not mm-hmm. going to buy it for, you know, yeah. with less than 35% equity actually. But I think sub two purchases are going to be huge if mm-hmm. you, you know, go and target those. Yeah. Um, so tell us, the, so some of our listeners, I mean, this, this is a strategy that uh, I'm somewhat familiar with. Uh, I've never actually done a subject to, but I kind of know a little bit of the mechanic. But, and for our listeners, I mean, they may not know at all what a subject to is. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of like what, what it entails and how you proceed with a subject to kind of a transaction? Essentially, you are asking the seller of the property to transfer the title, transfer the deed to you without paying off their existing mortgage. And you are going to start making their payments for them on their behalf. The loan still stays on their credit report and you are not assuming the loan. Assumption of a loan means you are taking personal responsibility and personally guaranteeing that loan. Mm-hmm. That is not what we're doing. And if you ask the lender for permission, they are going to say no. Mm-hmm. So we're also not asking the lender for permission. Um, the short version is we are going to buy the property. It's going to be titled in name of a trust. The trust, the way I do it, is conveniently titled after the last name of the person I bought it from. So it would be the Martell Family Trust if I bought mm-hmm. Eric's property. Yeah. Okay. Uh Why do we do it that way? It's smoke and mirrors. I'm not proud of that, but that's just the fact. The lender is going to see the payments coming in. They're going to see Martell Family Trust, and they're just going to assume that Eric put it into a trust and it's not owned by a third party anymore. Uh Um, And moving forward with that, if let's say the lender found out and they wanted to call the loan due, which they have a right because of the due on sale clause in every yeah. mortgage. Yeah. Um, so this is one of the biggest questions that sellers have for me when I'm talking to them about it. And essentially, if you correct the default, the loan will get reinstated. Mm-hmm. So my worst case scenario is if they found out that the Martell Family Trust is, is not you know, Eric and they call the loan due, can I deed the property back to Eric and cure mm-hmm. the default? I absolutely can. Yeah. Are we going to have a different document in place before I do that? Yes, we are. You know, we're going to put a, an option in place or, you know, a lease, something else that, so I still control the property, Mm -hmm. but you can cure that default. And out of all my friends across the country that do this, all my experience, I've never seen one that got called due that went through foreclosure. I had one call due because of an insurance screw up. Um, the way the insurance companies title the insurance policies is usually how the bank will find out that the deed was transferred Okay. because you cannot keep the original owner's insurance policy in place. It will not cover in the event of a, a, a claim. Okay. So, so you as the new, cause that, you know, if I'm using Eric as the example, Eric doesn't own the property anymore. So mm-hmm. Eric can't make a claim. That's right. Yeah. So we put our own insurance in place 
And it simply says Martell Family Trust with the acronym ATIMA, which stands for as their interest may appear. Mm-hmm. That's the owner of the insurance policy. The next line is going to say Eric Martell, ATIMA. Mm-hmm. And then I'm usually going to have a couple other ones in there, which would be my company um, as additional insurance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So if there's ever a claim, Eric doesn't have any stake in the property. So his, as their interest may appear, he has no interest. He has no right to a claim. Yeah. But your name is still showing up on the insurance policy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Solves a lot of problems. Yeah, my, my God. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of little details like that, that, uh, you know, that people... So uh, I, before we kind of like, uh, we, I also want to talk about your, your mastermind groups. Uh, and uh, and one, one of the things that you do is that Generations of Wealth Voyage. Uh, and in there, you talk about advanced training uh, and advanced kind of like strategies uh, in real estate. And, that's, and this would be a good idea, I guess, to if you want to learn more about the subject to how to take advantage of it. Um, so that would, would, would that be a good event for you to, um, to for people to attend and uh, and learn yes. more about that? Um- I would say if you're brand new to the business, you will be overwhelmed. So mm-hmm. maybe maybe the the topics that we discuss might you know be a little over your head at first, but the networking is that in itself is is worth it to me. Mm-hmm. The way this started, Eric, um, friends of ours used to run a cruise, and um, they ran it for eight years. We were on seven of the eight cruises with them. We we weren't friends when we started going. We became friends about four years in. And then we started doing some speaking. When they decided to uh, to retire from running that event, they they asked us to take it over, which is um, what we were wanting to do. COVID hit, of course, cruise lines yeah. shut down, things got yeah. changed. But the Generations of Wealth Voyage is also about bringing in the next generation. So on the last two cruises, I took my my daughter with me she was um, 11 years old the first time, 12 years old the second time. And she and I had seen a couple other you know parents do this over the years. Mm-hmm. And so she sat in on the sessions with us. She, she got to see that our way of life and our business were, were different than most. Yeah. We, you know, we don't just have jobs and punch yeah. a clock and, and things. So that's where the generations of wealth, voyage got its name because we absolutely want people to bring their 10 through 17 year old child mm-hmm. free of charge mm-hmm. if they're 18 and older well then they get to pay the conference fee but and and they can sit in on as much or as little as they want it's not really about them learning the strategies it's about them getting to build a network with other kids who have parents that are freaks like us mm-hmm. <laughs> because Right now, my daughter is, she's almost 15. And then I have a 10 year old and I have a a soon to be four year old. They have friends from all over the country whose parents are entrepreneurs. And I mentioned we're we're taking off for the month. Um, We're meeting Saturday in Rapid City, South Dakota with 60 to 70 other real estate investors at an RV park to just hang out. There's absolutely no structure. We call mm-hmm. it RV Rhea. This is our third annual, <laughs> but it's where our families all get to spend time together. Yeah. And, and then the whole month of July, we're 
going with two or three families and we're traveling through Wyoming, Montana, Idaho together. Mm -hmm. And Eric, can you imagine, I don't know your background, but can you imagine if you would have built a network in your teens and early twenties, yeah, where you could be by our age now? Yeah. And and that's what we really want with this. So the Generations of Wealth Voyage has conference from nine in the morning till one in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Then in the afternoon, you're free to do whatever you want, networking, hang out with your new friends. And then we typically have dinner together and we'll do a, a town hall session in the evening, which is a little more lighthearted, interactive. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's, it's a five-day conference. It's going to mm-hmm. be on land because we're just not sure of what's happening with the, uh, yeah. with the cruise ships and stuff yet. But it's going to be in Orlando, uh, February 21st, I believe it is, 2022. Um, conveniently, the website is pretty easy to, to remember. It's gowvoyage.com, Generations mm-hmm. of Wealth Voyage. Mm-hmm. So gowvoyage.com, it's, it's really um, what we feel like a, a good value. Um, we're not charging a, a whole lot of money. It's a non-sales event. There's nobody that will be there selling you or pitching you on anything. And, um, that's the way it's always been. That's the way we intend to keep it. Excellent. So how many people normally participate in, uh, in that event? Uh, we're expecting 150 to 200. We've had oh. about two and a quarter on the last cruises. We were getting restricted because of COVID and then ultimately yeah, yeah. it got canceled, mm-hmm. but this resort has, is not restricting us. So we will likely cap it mm-hmm. in that 150 to 200 range. Um, because it's, it's, it's more intimate that way. You yeah, get to know yeah. each other and spend more time with people. And, um, and that's ultimately how my masterminds got started, my national mm-hmm. masterminds too, because it was people that I got to know on the cruises. We wanted to get together more often. Mm-hmm. And so I yeah, do yeah. that biannually. Um, we rent a really nice big house somewhere different every time. There's usually about 15 to 20 of us that spend three or four days together and we're just it's it's peer-to-peer we are helping each other in whatever way yeah business health family whatever you need help with yeah that's what i found too is that the uh, the the real estate investor community um you know it's they're we're pretty open i mean we we talk we help Mm -hmm. people uh as much as we can share information i mean just the information you shared about the master lease and about the subject to and giving some very uh, great details uh about kind of like uh, about these strategies i think this is this is what this community is about and i think i so i'm very happy that you put that together and uh, so that's going to be so gowvoyage.com and that's going to be in february 2022 in orlando um so that's if you guys are interested in uh, in going and in, in attending this uh this event that sounds like it's going to be a fantastic event but uh, yeah and networking and and participating and communicating with other real estate investors i think it's always a good idea and i'm always learning whenever i talk to to an investor because yeah you know they've implemented obviously you've implemented these strategies uh, often and um, mm-hmm. so yeah so thank you for sharing that information with us and i would say come early and stay late you know we're yeah. we're getting there two days early and we're staying two days late because that's when you can really have some fun and and it's, it's orlando there's always something yeah. fun to do yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> 
Well, Derek, thank you very much. Anything else you want to mention before we uh, we wrap it up? Uh, if you would give me a minute, I want to just give everybody a, a freebie. I want to give you my little elevator pitch to every lead that ever comes in. Um, because I feel like people don't know how to get a seller to talk about, you know, the possibility of doing a subject to or, or a lease or all these things. So um, typically when I have anybody that, that I'm on the phone with or in person, but usually it starts on the phone within the first two to three minutes, I, I say this, and I'm going to use Eric just because he's in front of me. Say, Eric, we buy properties in several different ways. If we buy all cash, that's typically going to be our lowest offer. If that doesn't meet your needs, we've bought property where we've taken over people's payments, or if you don't have debt, we can make payments to you over time. Or if that doesn't work, we've leased property and bought it at a future date. I say all this, Eric, just so you know that there's multiple ways we can help you today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's my elevator pitch. Now, mm -hmm. What that does when you start asking them more questions about their debt or their situation, they already know why you're asking because mm -hmm. you couldn't come to those conclusions without asking more questions. Yeah. Yeah. So I like to throw that out there for everybody. And, and uh, if you make it your own, get comfortable saying it. I say it a lot, uh, yeah. several times a day. <laughs> so it comes natural, but it gets easier. Yeah. And I think also the, uh, it, it kind of opens up kind of like the option. There are more than just one option. And then yes. maybe they can come back to you and say, well, okay, well, what, so I don't, maybe what if I don't want to sell my house right away? Like, can you help? Can we do this? And then I have an option of keeping the keeping the house at a later time or something. At least it opens up a discussion with uh, with the seller about um, you know about what can happen to them and what uh, you know Absolutely. and how you can help. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I could go on for hours, but I, I yeah uh, I know we're probably <laughs> at our time limit here. But. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I mean, yeah, we can we can book something else and just talk about uh, some other strategies that uh, that you've implemented. But I'd be happy yeah, to. Um, yeah. I can I can do a couple case studies with you and, and show you yeah. real life what we've done if you'd like, Eric. So okay, yeah. So that's yeah. We'll we'll book something else then. That sounds very good. Okay. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. Well, Derek, yeah, thank you for your time, and I uh, will talk to you later. Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martell. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.